Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. So welcome to Awaken Church. If you're here for the first time, welcome to our San Marcos campus. We are a discipleship church. Um, and, you know, here at Awaken, we love when people get saved. Um, you know, all of heaven is rejoicing, but um, we, we, we understand that salvation is the beginning of the journey, not the end. Um, and we understand that discipleship is a process and you need people to walk you through, you know, because you come in a certain way and you have all these mindsets, all these ways of living, all these things that we do. And, and, and when you get saved, you get radically changed, but then transformation happens over time. And so um, this, is, this is a house of transformation. And like Dr. Matt said, I came when I was 16 and, um, you know, I've, I've truly been changed from the inside out. Um, the way I think, the way I operate, my view of God, um, just what he's done in my heart. It's really beautiful. But this is what the Bible says. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And I, and I want to re reference a story in the Bible um, about an unusual encounter with a woman um, who was so impacted in a way that she had a literal come to Jesus moment. Um, but it's, it's about um, the woman at the well. And we've heard this story before, um, but Jesus is coming through Samaria, which that in itself was controversial. And he has a conversation with a woman and he asks her for a drink. And um, the reason that this is controversial, and I never really understood fully because um, you know, I was like, oh, because she's a chick, maybe, you know. And so I want to give you some historical context, because in 7, 721 BC, the um, Assyrians invaded the top half of Israel. And um, what they did is they took a lot of Israelites away in captivity, and then they also strategically planted Assyrian people to reside there. And so what happened is this group of people began to intermarry with what... Um, the Jews began to be pagan people. And so they began to intermarry, and that's what we now call the Samaritan people. And not only did they intermarry with these people, but they also um, began to take bits and pieces of other um, beliefs, of other things that they wanted to apply to the religion that they had been taught by the Jewish people. And so you had this huge tension. And the reason that this story is so pivotal today is because I, we see the same spirit um, in this next up-and-coming generation and in America where, you know, oh, I, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I also am this. Or, oh, I believe in Jesus, but I actually don't do the whole church thing. I actually don't read my Bible. I don't apply his word to my life, but I would love to go to heaven one day. So yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. Um, you know, I, I know the Lord says that, or maybe I know the Bible says that um, God has great plans for me, but I'm also going to go get my palms read. Um, and, and that's like a very common thing that we've seen in America. I mean, how many people have you met that they're like, yeah, I'm Catholic. And I'm like, oh, cool. What does that mean? Oh, well, I was just brought up that way. And so then therefore I am. And um, so we've got major tension with um, these two groups of people. And so here's Jesus. He's, he's going through Samaria, which at the time Jewish people would go around Samaria because it was 
It, that's, that's how much they despise these people. They were like, you're not getting a cent from me. I, I can't even walk on your lands. I'm going to take the long way. And so Jesus is fully going right through it. And he talks to this woman and he has a conversation with her. And, it, and it's a really beautiful dialogue because he asks her for something to drink. And, and she's like, why are you asking me? Because obviously he's breaking every social political barrier by doing so. And um, he responds to her and he says, well, if you'd asked me for a drink, I would have given you living water. And you would have never thirsted again. And she's like, um, okay, weirdo. Um, and he begins to explain who he is. And, you know, she, you know, references how to worship and all these things, which it, the Samaritans and the Jews, they, they constantly argued with where they were meant to worship God. And um, so here's Jesus coming in and he's saying, there's a day coming when you're actually not, it's not going to be about whether you worship in the temple of, of Jerusalem or on this mountain over here, but it's actually about who you're worshiping and a time is coming where things are changing. And by the end of the, this, this dialogue, he reveals to her that, that he is the Messiah. And it says that she leaves her water pot and she goes back to her family and says, I, I believe I just met the Messiah. And, you know, this, this woman is a picture because not only is, does her people come from compromise, but they also come from rejection because they're rejected by God's people. And so fast forward, it's no surprise that we find her in a life of rejection and in a life of compromise. And so here she is, been married five times, but yet she has this moment of, I believe I just met the Messiah. And so the title of my message is Help a Sister Out, How to Partner with God to Win a Generation. Because I believe that this generation needs more than ever to have an encounter with the Messiah. And so how, how is it that we do that? And the first thing we do is, is we don't write people off. You see, I, I love Jesus because he uses unusual, uneducated, ordinary people to do extraordinary things for God. You've heard this before. He uses young people. He uses old people. He uses widows. He uses orphans. And in the Bible, King David started in a field. He ended in a palace. Saul went from hating and killing Christians to being one of the greatest builders of the church. Esther was an orphan, and she was literally dubbed queen. Like, you're winning. Pastor Michaela started as a party girl turned into a pastor, Okay. You see, I love Jesus because the mark of Jesus in your life is that you start one way and you end up completely different. I love, I love people um, like Pastor Pam Strickler, Party Pam. Um, she's told her story last year at Cherish Conference about how she um, had a baby and, and gave her child up for adoption because she really felt that she really wanted her baby boy to have a mom and a dad, just not just a mom. And she told her story of this beautiful testimony and then later in life gets married, falls in love, and, and her husband tragically passes away. And, you know, we, we hear the story of restoration and healing and she meets her biological son who happens to end up living in the same town of which she lived, which is quite unusual. And I love that because here's Pam, and I remember Pastor Pam telling her story being in shock of how much heartache and brokenheartedness she, this woman has experienced, how much trauma, and yet, I mean, we, we call her Party Pam. Like, you can't be Party Pam unless you're happy. <laughs> and not only has she um, received incredible amounts of healing, but she actually now does that, where she brings healing to men and women's lives weekly. Because what was once the thing that she really needed, God says, now that I've been able to, now that you've surrendered this area of your life and I've been able to give that to you, I want you to actually go and give it away. 
And, and I find that Jesus will actually take the thing that you really need or the biggest weakness in your life, and if you will allow Jesus to mold those things, that he will actually give you the most authority in it to actually minister and teach people. And, and I love people like um, Pastor Charles Fuller. You know, he grew up without a dad. He's down at our Balboa campus, but he... He strived his whole childhood to get attention and affection from his dad. Even fast forward, his dad recently passed away and, and, and gave little to nothing to him and, and his son and gave everything to a girlfriend. Like just, just, just having re- repetitive of rejection and, and no affirmation. But yet Pastor Charles is one of the greatest fathers that I've ever met. And he's parented and fathered and discipled more 18 to 29-year-old young adults than anybody else I know in our church. You see, the greatest thing that you can do to the enemy is say, hey, I know you might have messed with me and played around in this season, but guess what? I'm actually going to not let that season define me, and I'm actually going to give away what I didn't have in the prior season. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and new life has begun. I don't want you to write yourself off. I know there's people in this room that you've written yourself off because of decisions you made, maybe when you were younger, the person that you were, the the bad husband that you were at one time. And and I know that God is 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 calling people out of writing yourself off because because Jesus is doesn't define us by our worst days. He defines us by the work of the cross. And um, there's, a, there's a story I want to tell of a youth pastor in Charlotte. He um, had a really small youth ministry, about 15 to 20 people, and there was that one kid. The one kid. We know. <laughs> they might even be in the room today. <laughs> it was Dr. Matt. <laughs> Dr. Matt is the 15-year-old version of what I'm talking about. Um, but there, there, there was this kid that would never pay attention, was always disruptive, was Snapchatting in worship, making phone calls during the message, Um, thinking that that's totally socially acceptable, having no social awareness that people are actually trying to learn, engage, and encounter God. And to the point where this pastor is like, I hope that this kid Tyler doesn't come. Like he's he's like sideways momentum for something that I'm trying to build here. (laughs) I'm trying to impact this generation. And so finally he decides to switch up strategies and he says, okay, you know what, Tyler, I'm gonna make you a junior volunteer. So here's a walkie talkie and good luck. Welcome to the team. And of course, Tyler, for the first time, is, you know, feeling a sense of purpose, and he's engaged in the service, and I don't know what he did. He probably just, like, radioed a bunch of things. Who knows? Like, I don't know if he wore it on his belt loop. I don't know. I'm not the youth pastor of this ministry, but what I do know is that this pastor tells this story that for the first time, this student heard the message. For the first time, he paid attention, and not only did he pay attention, but at the end of service, he gave his life to Jesus. And, and not only that, the, this youth pastor didn't know that this teenager was actually one of the most influential teenagers in one of the largest high schools in the city of Charlotte. So he went around and evangelized to his school. So that youth ministry that was 15 to 20 people turned overnight into three to 400 youth teenagers coming weekly. Because what this pastor has written off as a problem, God was saying, yeah, yeah, but that's actually the provision I have for you. That's actually the solution. 
You see, there's things in your life that you've written off. You've said, oh, I'm divorced. Oh, 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 I'm a widow. Oh, I had an abortion. I don't know if I'm going to be a great mom. And God's saying, actually, I know that you've written yourself off of being a great mom, of being a great spouse, of dreaming and falling in love again, but I'm actually not in the business of writing people off. And we see that in in this scripture because Jesus comes and he has this conversation. And I guarantee you, any other pastor, any other Pharisee of that time wouldn't have even engaged with this woman, but yet he's saying, I actually see you and I know you. And we understand by this scripture that he comes in and he says, hey, I know that you've been married five times and the man that you're with is, is the sixth and you're not in covenant. And we see by her response that, that he's not saying, hey, shame on you. He's not saying, hey, get your life in order. He's not disregarding the decision she's made. He's not belittling that. He's not rescuing her from the, comp- the, the consequences of those decisions. But I, I, I understand that by, because of her response, he's saying, I actually see you. I understand where you're at. I know that maybe you don't know how you've gotten here. I don't, I don't think any girl is, you know, on the playground playing house going, I can't wait to be married five times. But here she is in a situation, probably heartache, probably rejected, probably feeling misused, mistreated. You know, the greatest thing a woman wants is, is, is to know that you're going to stay when things get hard. And I can imagine that this, this woman was feeling a lot of things. But I, I, I can imagine that she left that conversation full of hope, going, I don't, I don't think my life's written off because I just had an encounter with the Messiah and I feel like hope is, hope is in my heart again to dream again. So don't write yourself off. The next point is, in order to reach this generation, we need to be what we needed when we were younger. My husband um, what is a climber or was a big wall climber. And I, climbing's cool for like a little bit. Um, and then I'm like, that was great. I'm not really into heights. That's not my thing. But... Um, you know, there's, there's a few different groups of, of climbers. There's the veterans, the people that are, you know, doing big walls in Yosemite. There's people that, you know, know what they're doing. They're climbing for fun. They can dabble. And then there's the, the noobs, the newbie people that are really, really, really hungry and wanting to learn. And you see with climbing, it's one of the few things that you can't just YouTube. You can't just follow a bunch of climbing accounts. Um, You know, maybe you can do that with different hobbies or different sports or even different businesses, really. I mean, things are so easily accessible online, right? I mean, you can have a life coach. You can have all these things. And those things aren't bad. But with climbing, you actually need somebody to say, hey, I actually am going to teach you how to climb. Um, And if not, then you're left to YouTube. And so then what happens is um, there's a large room for error. And, And they will say in climbing that 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 yes, there's things like altitude and gear error and human error and rock, rock falls that, you know, it can, can cause harm and danger to people. But most people die climbing and they're in one of two buckets. They're either the brand new climber who has all shiny gear and he's never done anything and he doesn't really know what he's doing. Or fast forward on the other side, they're actually the veteran that's capable, competent, confident and has gotten a little bit casual because what they've done is they've gone, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And they haven't taken time to teach somebody because how do you know when you're teaching somebody, you're more thorough. When you're teaching somebody, you're going, I want to actually make sure that I am doing this right. And it brings accountability into your life. The Bible says in King David, in the Bible that King David was home and before he um, has an affair and sleeps with a woman, 
it says that there was a time when kings should have been away at war. You see, what King David did in this season is he had lost vision of what he was meant to be doing. And I think if you're not careful, if you become a veteran climber and you get so focused on you, 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 that you unfortify your life and you get to a place where it could be dangerous. Whereas when you say, no, I'm actually going to invest into the next generation, what it does is it gives you purpose again. It gives you fulfillment again. It gives you um, direction and it keeps you sharp. Um, being a new mom, like I said earlier, I learn 101 things. I mean, each week, I, I feel like I'm learning a new thing each day. <laughs> And, you know, I love it because there's all the mom hacks online. There's all the, you know, baby wise and taking care of babies and all the things. All the mom said amen, sleep training. And um, those things are great, but they cannot supplement for all the great moms in my life that can give me great examples, great wisdom, great insight on what they've done in their actual life. And so what we've seen right now is that because things are so accessible, it's actually flipped where everything is only virtual, only learning online, only learning. And those things aren't bad. Resources like that aren't bad. They just can't be in place of people that have good fruit on their life to say, hey, I actually know the situation that you're in because, right, there's objective and subjective advice, right? I want subjective advice. I want objective advice that actually applies to me and my life not just a blanket statement. And you get that because there's women and men that are older than you showing you the way and also the same younger people that you're teaching showing the way how to live. I want to um, show a video here in a minute. Um, before I do, the, 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 in climbing, there's a saying that says shiny, shiny gear is dangerous. And so when you're climbing a route on a wall, you know, you walk up and there's, when you're on a rock wall, there's tons of routes that you can climb. So you could be technically, like, there's a guy up there, there's a guy here, there's a guy coming from his car. Like, it's a very, like, people are around if you're in a really popular place to climb. And, you know, Sterling says, if you see a guy that's got shiny gear, you know that this guy is, is brand new. And so you want to stay away. <laughs> Because you're, you have no idea that this person is, is going to make errors. You don't know if they know what they're doing. And the assumption is that they're brand new to climbing. And so the thing with, you know, TikTok and learning from somebody, you know, behind a camera is that you actually can't see the gear that they're carrying. You actually can't see the fruit of their life that they've walked around with. Because the Bible says, judge a tree by its fruit, not by their social media posts. And so they might look beautiful in a sunset, and ooh, we got a great marriage, and I love my kids. But I'm going, okay, but I want to see, is the gear shiny? What does the gear look like? Because guess what? Some beat-up gear means that somebody's been through some stuff. They've learned to climb some big walls. And this person's still standing, and this person's still happy. And so if I could speak to the younger people is that you need to find a, a, a youth leader in your life that's got some, some, some rusted up little used gear, not just somebody that's shiny on social media because that's fantastic, but it can't supplement the, the life that we're meant to live. You see, the greatest love language that everyone has is family. People think it's physical touch and words of affirmation. Yeah, probably. Well, guess what? It's family. And wouldn't it be so strategic of the devil to come after family? He's come after marriage. He's come after the relationships between moms and daughters. He's come after relationships between fathers and sons, right? And so the one thing that he's tried to destroy is the one thing that this generation needs more than ever, family. Family. 
And so um, I'm going to show a video about a baseball player. I know we have one Padres fan over here. Does anyone else like baseball? Okay. In the last service, I basically had to explain that it's America's famous sport. Okay. It was, it was quite scary. But anyways, baseball's great. Um, but I want to tell a story about Trey Turner. He plays for the Philadelphia Phillies. Side comment. I also thought that Philadelphia was known for uh, cheesecakes as, as a kid. So in eighth grade when I went, I was, you know, obviously on this history tour, which I wish I really, like, took in what I was seeing, but I was too young. All I cared about was the cute boy next to the bus with me, and I was like, where the heck are all the cheesecakes? And when I got there, I realized, oh, cheese steaks are, are very different. And so because I love desserts, I was quite underwhelmed with the, the greased meat sandwiches sold from carts that no, didn't have a, a rating in sight. But I digress. But Trey Turner, he plays for the Philadelphia Phillies. He's a very well-known baseball player. If you don't know, he played for the Washington Nationals. He's played for the LA Dodgers. He's even represented, I know, we're a Dodger fan in the Pyle family. I know, controversial. People are like, woohoo, woohoo. Like, Jesus, come back. Okay. Um, but he's even represented the, the, the U.S., um, which, is, which is really cool. But um, I, I want to show this video and then... I'll come back. Your meanest and most ruthless fans in sports just did one of the most heartwarming things you'll ever see, and it saved this player's season. Trey Turner is having the worst year of his life, and it hit rock bottom when he went 0 for 5 against the Marlins, dropped his average to the lowest it's been all year, and made an error that cost the Phillies the game. He has been getting booed throughout the season, but after this performance, Philly legend, the Philly captain, made an announcement. Let's not boo Trey Turner. Let's give him a standing ovation every time he comes to bat. The next night, Trey Turner came to the plate and got a massive standing ovation. He responded by hitting an RBI single. The next day, he got even more standing ovations. Turner responded by hitting a bomb. The stadium went crazy, and Turner continued to get standing ovations throughout the weekend. He continued to play amazing throughout the weekend and even bought billboards across the city to thank Philly fans. Do you think this fixed Trey Turner? Yes, it did fix Trey Turner. But I show that video because it's so easy to look at this up-and-coming generation with frustration, with criticism. But we see that, that, that what this group of this city did for this player is they said, instead of booing like everyone else was, what every other stadium would, I'm actually going to cheer him on because I know his performance might not be lining up with what I know God has called him to do, what his, his skill set is, but I'm actually going to cheer him on until he rises into what he's capable of doing. And what this generation needs is a bunch of people to say, hey, I know that you might not be making the best decisions. I know that you might actually be a little bit confused in your gender and your identity. But hey, I'm actually going to tell you that this is what God's word says. And I'm actually going to call you higher into the purpose of God and the provision of God and the hope of who God is. And I, I can't tell you how many people, people, people are, are, I've never met somebody that is, is over-celebrated, Right? I've never said, man, I wish, I wish you would celebrate me less. No, it's the opposite. People have felt under-celebrated, right? And so what if, if we came around this generation, to, instead of booing, critiquing, I'm not saying disregard the bad decisions. I'm not saying apply, don't, don't, don't exchange 
um, repentance for acceptance. That's not what I'm saying. I am, I am saying that what if we were to be a generation that said, hey, I'm going to actually take this generation by the hand. And even though I didn't get this, I didn't get the attaboys when I was a kid, I'm going to give it. And there's a, there's a story about a woman that she survives the Holocaust and fast forward, she's a therapist, she's a psychologist and, and literally for a living brings healing to people that have had PTSD. And, and, and one of her most famous lines that she said is she says, my greatest revenge to Hitler is to love my grandbabies. And I wonder how many people are trying to get somebody, give revenge to somebody, but the greatest revenge that you can do is actually to love and to do better and to give better. And I want you to ask yourself, what was the thing that you were given as a kid that really catapulted your life? If you could look back and say, oh, this was a foundational thing for me, or for some of you, it'll be the thing you did not have. What did you need when you were younger? I want you to give it away. I want you to give it away because the world says, be greedy, pay for my thing. But guess what? The same as climbing, same for discipleship. Climbing takes time, energy, and effort. Same for discipleship. It takes time, energy, and effort. Pa Dr. Matt mentioned it, but David and Brianna Chittick were, were my youth pastors. Do you know how much time, energy, and effort they invested to me, a squirrely little teenager who was in love with this guy one day, in love with this boy the next? They've invested years, hours, days into my life because they understand that they are gonna give it away. They're gonna, they understood that they're my greatest love language family and, 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 and they would open their home and they would host me at their house. I mean, we, like the boys would go to Emerge and everyone's going over to Pastor Breezy's house for sleepovers. I mean, can you imagine? You're not a parent and all of a sudden you have a bunch of teenagers in your living room. Like that is not normal, but that is the, the, what catapulted me into the future and to the life that I live now. And I think there's some people in here that you're saying, well, I didn't have that. It's not fair. But guess what? The way you overcome is you give it away. The way that you punch the devil right in the face is you say, I know that you tried to mess with me, but you're not going to mess with this generation because I'm actually willing to give it away. I know maybe I had a traumatic childhood, but I'm actually not going to give that to my kids. Last, if we want to reach this generation, is we have to preach the gospel. You see, people think that preaching the gospel is, is preacher behavior, but it's actually believer behavior. And, um, you know, to put really, really simply, our job as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is, is to tell people the story of Jesus, but actually show people who Jesus is through our life. And, you know, there's that, that story or that song when you were a kid, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? And it's like, hide it under a bushel. No. And all the kids in kids' church, no. Like, it's all dramatic. And, um, but our job is, is to share the gospel with people. And sometimes that looks like physically telling people the story of Jesus. But a lot of times it looks like, representing him without words. And I want everyone to stand to their feet this morning because the Bible says you are the light of the world. You cannot hide a city that is on a mountain. Men do not light up a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a table so it gives light to all in the house. So let your light shine in front of men. Then they will see the good things you do and will honor your father who is in heaven.
You see, I think sometimes we think that preaching the gospel is telling people this is what God's word said, and, and, that, and it is. There's a level of that. But I think people will come to church, will come to know him by the life that you choose to live. Mother Teresa says that the, you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And there's some men in the room that, that the greatest thing that you can do is, is go home and love your family. Um, I know there's even some estranged relationships in here between fathers to sons, um, men to other men in their family, and, and God is asking you to go repair that relationship. And, you know, when I was out of high school, I went and started working at Islands, um, the burger joint, the restaurant. And I would say over the years that I worked there, I... Um, probably about 30% of my coworkers ended up coming over a series of time to Awaken Church. I, I would invite them and they would come and get saved. And um, one of those guys is actually now married to my sister. Um, got rededicated his life, got set free from fear, anxiety, addiction. Um, and he's now married to my sister. He's my brother-in-law, people. <laughs> There's another lady that um, I worked with who was actually my boss. She was my manager. And, um, you know, I, I don't remember my strategy. I don't know if I invited her into my home first or if she came right away. But what I do know is that she did come to this church because um, she's still part of this church. And she ended up doing the internship program. And she's now the Hubbard's assistant. And, and that's Esther Becker. Esther was my boss at Islands. But, you know... When I invited Esther, it wasn't like I came with her guns a-blazing about this saith the Lord. My life, I had a reputation of I was different than everyone else in my workplace. Here's some really good practicals, and I apologize if this is too basic. I did not sleep with my coworkers. I did not use uh, language like everybody else, which is common. And, and I wouldn't say, like, you're going to hell for that, but it set me apart. I came into work with a great attitude. I tried my best to work hard and, and not be a, the lazy employee. Was I perfect? No. When girls would come to me, when guys would come to me wanting to gossip about their life, I would basically give them some solutions and move on with my life. I didn't engage in that type of behavior. And if you've ever worked in a restaurant, all those things are very normal. And I know that that's really basic and really practical, but I guarantee you that everyone in my workplace knew that I was a little bit different. And they maybe didn't know why, maybe they didn't know my story, but they knew that I was different. And I believe that the greatest thing that you can do is represent Jesus well in the sphere that God has called you to do. The other aspect of preaching the gospel is, is if somebody asked you what you believe, could you tell them? Could you say, this is what Jesus did in my life and this is what God's word says and that you know, could you, could you break it down? And, and I don't say that to be confronting. I say that to be encouraging and, and, and encourage us that we actually don't have to wait for somebody to come into the doors of this church, but that people could actually get saved on your high school, in your business meeting, out in the sphere of which you are actually called to influence. And I think that when we understand that our job as a believer is to preach the gospel, when we understand that, that people are watching and people are looking for solutions, they're looking for, for where do I go? Where is family? Because I don't care who you are, you, if you need family. 
The greatest thing that you can do is love your family and represent Jesus well. And so with everyone's eyes closed, I want to invite you, if you're in this room and you've never accepted Jesus into your heart, I want to give you an opportunity to do so. Everyone's eyes are closed and I, I, I don't really want to labor long on what this is, but you're saying, you know, Marissa, I've never, I've never ever asked Jesus into my heart or I've written myself off because of what I've done and I want to come back to him. And if that's you, I just want you to lift your hands all over this place. Thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Beautiful. Beautiful. Is there anyone else like that? Thank you. Thank you. With everyone's eyes closed, if you would repeat after me, say, Dear Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I acknowledge you as Lord of my life and Savior of the world. Make me whole again. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your healing. Set me free from old thinking. Make me new again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. And the last thing I want to do is, is, is people that have kind of gotten casual in their calling. And what I mean by that is, is you've said, oh, it's, it's the pastor's job to do this thing. And so you actually have been taking yourself very seriously about who you're actually representing. And there's a movie called Miracle where they're um, hockey players and, um, you know, they have a horrible game and, and, and after the coach gets them to, you know, do suicides back and forth. And by the end, because the truth is that the, the team is playing kind of as individuals, not as a unit. Everyone's worried about their stuff. And by the end, he says that the, the name on the front is always more important than the name on the back. The name on the front, USA, is always more important than the name pile on the back. And so I wonder how many people in here, you're, you're so concerned with maybe your reputation, but you've lost sight of, wow, my, my job is to represent Jesus. Like I am a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. And so if there's people in here that you feel like, man, I don't know if I understand that my calling was going to go into the world and make disciples. Yes, open my home. Yes, preach the gospel physically, but also to represent him well. And I believe that there's even people in here that you, if you were to examine your life, the greatest, the greatest lie from the enemy is that you get two lives. You get one life. You get one version of you. And when you're this person on a Sunday and this person on a Monday, that's where anxiety and fear and confusion comes in. And that's where a lack of purpose and clarity um, happens. And so I want to pray for people that have maybe gotten casual in their calling, or maybe there's an aspect of their life that maybe they know, okay, this doesn't actually honor God. And I actually want to surrender it now. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe, maybe it's something simple like gossiping at work. I don't know. But if that's you, I just want you to lift your hands. God, I thank you that our life, like your word says, is meant to shine. And God, I thank you that with all, every hand lifted, God, I thank you that you are um, giving them a picture, God, of who you've called them to be. And so God, I thank you for each and every person, God, that we would go shine and we would feel compelled and catapulted into our sphere. And so God, I thank you um, for every person. God, I thank you that, that we would use our life to represent you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, 
For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.